Uh, my name is Jeff, if we haven't met. Thrilled to have you here. Thrilled to be with you on Easter Sunday. And we're going to celebrate Jesus this morning. I hope that's okay with you. Celebrate life and cry. You can clap. All right, we're ready. Man, you're going to make this easy for me. It's awesome. Uh, well, we'll start. Maybe we don't need to start. I was going to start kind of low-key, a little light humor, and we'll build. So, so we'll just keep building. But you can clap anytime you want during the message. It's fine. But I just was trying to grab some stories from Reader's Digest, some real stories from people that are somewhat related to death as we start kind of less serious, and then we'll get more and more serious as we continue this morning. So here's the first one. My six-year-old loved his pet fish. He watched and fed it faithfully morning and night, but one day while he was in school, his fish died, so I flushed it down the toilet. I told him when he got home, and he was inconsolable. Nothing I said helped. After a while, I asked, why are you crying so much? Arching his back, he shouted, I wanted to flush. (laughs) This next one has nothing to do with death, actually, but it has something to do with toilets, so I fit it in here because it's funny. A woman at our checkout counter didn't have enough money to cover her purchase of toilet paper, so I paid the money. Thank you, she said. I'm going to think of you every time I use this paper. (laughs) That was worth squeezing in there, right? All right. Again, moderately related to death. Remember this, at 82 years old, that's important for the punchline. At 82 years old, my husband applied for his first passport. He was told he would need a birth certificate, but his birth had never been officially registered. When he explained his dilemma to the passport agent, the response was less than helpful. It's all right, the agent said. Just bring a notarized affidavit from the doctor who delivered you. There you go. All right, my last one here. My sister Darlene has the courage, but not always the skills, to tackle any home repair project. For example, in her garage are pieces of a dead lawnmower she once tried to fix. So I wasn't surprised the day my other sister, Jessie, and I found Darlene attacking her vacuum cleaner with a screwdriver. I can't get this thing to cooperate, she explained. Why don't you drag it out to the garage and show it the lawnmower, Jessie suggested. So there you go. Lighthearted stories about death. Why? Well, we're going to... We've already been singing about it, but I mean, what is the good news is that Jesus is alive and he has conquered death and death is a real thing. I mean, we don't, I mean, you don't take death lightly. It's, it's not the way it's supposed to be. And we celebrate that we don't have to be afraid of death anymore, (laughs) which we'll talk about. So what I want to do is read the Easter story. If you were with us on Good Friday, it's fine if you weren't, but on Good Friday I said the thread through this weekend is, what if Jesus was preaching his own sermon? So I'm kind of letting Jesus, we'll interact with what I think Jesus would preach. I think you'll agree, what Jesus would preach on Easter Sunday. (laughs) But I want to at least read the story. Some of you, this might be your first time at church in a long time or ever. And I don't know if there's a more beautiful story (laughs) And the story of the empty tune. So Matthew 28, verses 1 to 10. Just listen in. Early on Sunday morning, and I think this is intentional language from Matthew, as the new day was dawning. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb, and suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven 
rolled aside the stone and sat on it. His face shone like lightning and his clothing was as white as snow. And the guards shook with fear when they saw him and they fell into a dead faint. And the angel spoke to the women, don't be afraid. You'll hear that actually echoing this morning. Heaven always seems to come to earth with a gentle touch saying, don't be afraid. I know you are looking for Jesus. He was brutally, unfairly, and unjustly crucified on the cross. Well, guess what? (laughs) He isn't here. (laughs) He isn't here. He's risen from the dead, just as he said what happened. Do you want to come see where his body was lying? Because it's not there anymore. And then go, now go quickly and tell his disciples he's risen from the dead. This is good news. And then he'll meet them ahead in Galilee. You will see him there. Remember, probably the last thing anybody ever, remember what I've told you like they're going to forget, right? Come on. So the women ran quickly from the tomb and they were frightened because this is pretty incredible. They didn't expect this to happen, but they're also filled with great joy. Could this be true? What would this mean if Jesus is risen from the dead? So they rushed to give this message from the, angels to the disi- from the angels to the disciples. And as they go, Jesus himself, the resurrected Jesus, the one who has conquered death, he meets them and he greets them and they run to him. I mean, they fall down, they grab his feet, they worship him. And Jesus speaks to him, don't be afraid. There it is again, don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee and they will see me. So that's the Easter morning story. That's what happened. We believe this. We'll talk a little bit about this. It's foundational to our faith that this happened. But what if Jesus was preaching his own Easter sermon this morning? I think that's what we find in Revelation chapter 1. Jesus preaching his own Easter sermon. I'm going to pick up in verse 12. But before I do, I kind of want to set you up a little bit for this because It's going to start not with words from Jesus, but with John's description of the presence of Jesus. There's a part of me that says that'd be enough. If the resurrected Jesus revealed himself to all of us as he is going to to John in Revelation chapter 1, I don't think he'd need to say a thing. Now he does, he would, but he wouldn't need to. We would all fall on our face. (laughs) And as I read through this, there's a lot, I mean, we could really unpack this if we were doing a different sermon this morning. There's layers and layers of imagery, a lot connecting to the Old Testament story. It's one of these where, you know how the book is always better than the movie? It's totally true here. You try to put what's going to, you try to take these symbols and these layers of imagery and put them into a movie. It would kind of look, I think, silly. But the written word, I think, is how God wants it to communicate to us. Just allow the images of what John is trying. He's grasping for language. How do I describe this? It's going to sound crazy, but he's just trying to describe the one and only Jesus. We'll talk about this morning. Jesus is, is not just one of many. He's the one and only. So Revelation 1 verse 12, this is the beginning of the sermon. It's really just the presence of Jesus. More than words. When I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven gold lampstands. 
just stretch your imagination a little bit, whatever the Holy Spirit kind of works as you hear these words. And standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. He's grasping for words from what he knows from the scriptural story. He was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow. I love this. His eyes were like flames of fire. Intense. There's an intensity there. His feet were like polished bronze, refined in a furnace, and you can feel almost the bass. His voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. And then imagine this one like the Son of Man held seven stars. We're not talking about paintings of stars or stickers of stars. No, he's holding seven stars. In his right hand, and a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth. And again, this is why a video could never do justice. His face was like the sun in all its brilliance. You need to know of your own experiences when the sun is just all, that's, that's what his face was like, all its brilliance. And John does what you and I would do. This sermon preached just visually. The words are visual. I fell at his feet as if I were dead. But this is part of why the sermon just keeps getting better because Jesus is this powerful, this mighty, this beyond words, this beyond what our imagination can fully fathom. That is Jesus. And we are overwhelmed. Our senses are overwhelmed by his presence. And what does he do? Just a soft hand on John's shoulder. His hand touched me, the gentle heart of Jesus. All this power and all this compassion, all this humility, this vulnerability, this authenticity. He's just welcoming us to lift our gazes back up again. And what does he say? Don't be afraid. And there's so much in you like the women. You want to be afraid, but when you feel his gentle touch on your shoulder, you're somehow no longer afraid. Why was I afraid? This is incredible. Jesus is not just one of many. He's the one and only. There is no one like him. So then we'll read, what would the sermon then be once we've gotten past his presence, if we ever could? (laughs) What would he say? I think you'll like it. It's a short sermon. My sermon is a little shorter than normal today. Caught the worship team off guard for service. It's great. Jesus says this, I am the first and the last. Elsewhere in Revelation, he'll say, I'm the beginning and the end. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the living one. In other words, Jesus is saying to you and to me, I am life itself. The only reason there is life is because I am. Everything draws its life from me. I am the source of life. I am self-sustaining life. I am the living one. And then, appropriate for Easter, we'll, we'll finish with this. I died, but look, I am alive forever. And ever. And I hold the keys of death 
and the grave. I hold the keys of death and Hades. I hold the keys of death and hell. That's where we'll finish up this morning. But let's start at the beginning of this very short sermon. Jesus says, I am the first. He's the beginning. He's the alpha. To say Jesus is the beginning is to say nothing precedes him. Jesus is uncreated. He's just always been. There's nothing before Jesus. He's not the second. He's the first. He's the beginning. Or if we lean into this a little bit more, then I would say it this way. Jesus is your and my origin. And we must start with Jesus. We can't start with anything else. But if we do start with Jesus, then everything else will make sense. Or how about I ask it this way. Did a personal creator design you or are you an accidental collection of molecules, a chemical accident? Look, if you're, if you're a chemical accident, an accidental collection of molecules, then, then you carry the burden that you feel from so many of the people in our world today. You're just an accident of molecules. So you need to create your own meaning. And you need to create your own identity. You need to name yourself. I mean, if you're paying attention, that's a burden that none of us can carry. It's actually overwhelming so many of our friends and our family and our neighbors. But, 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 if Jesus is the alpha, the beginning, the first, if you're designed, you don't have to create your identity, you discover your identity. You don't have to create your meaning, you discover your meaning with the beautiful personal touch of your heavenly creator, who has called you into existence with great joy and delight. It's a big difference. Some of you know, some of you were asking me even before the service. We were gone the last couple of weeks. We went to visit my mom over spring break. She broke her leg. She's in a wheelchair. Thanks for that sympathy. So what does we do over spring break? We played a lot of cards with grandma and we watched a lot of game shows. I haven't seen that much Price is Right for a long time. <laughs> but one of the game shows that came up, and some of you won't know what I'm talking about, but a lot of you will. It takes me back to the late, maybe the late 80s, early 90s. There was a show, they've got a new edition out uh, that's hosted by Elizabeth Banks called Press Your Luck. You remember that show? So all week, because I actually, I got into it, and I'll explain why I got into the show. I kept, I was going back and like watching all the reruns. And so all week when we were playing games and stuff, I'd be like, big bucks, big bucks, no whammy, stop. Because <laughs> you just hit this button and the square stops and you either get big bucks or you get whammied. Which even in the new version, they didn't even update the graphics, which I actually liked. I liked these little cartoon whammies. But one of the things they did on the new version, and it, it's what made the show compelling, and it's why I just kept watching it. We just had it on over and over. Is because in the first two rounds, you've got three contestants, and you've got money and whammies, but you've got these prizes, but the prizes are random. It's just pure random chance, and, and everyone's like, why is that a prize? 
One of the prizes is you could win a personal bodyguard for a week. What would you do with that? Nobody wants that. Another prize was an electric surfboard. I'm like, yeah, that'd be awesome at the Kish, right? Around. Like, what would you do? It's just like these, like, who dreams these things up? What, I don't even know what an electric surfboard does. And you're like, what in the world? But what gets cool then is you get to the final round when you have one champion. And they're playing for all the, gold, all the prize, right? And what they've done before the show is they've researched personally. It's not random chance anymore. It is a personal touch. They know the contestant and they know what excites them. And it's really fun. One contestant loved Barry Manilow. So they could, if they hit the right square, they could go see Barry Manilow in concert and meet him. And I'm telling you, I'm like, okay. This person hasn't even hit the square yet. They're running around high-fiving everybody. I might win a chance to meet Barry. I mean, it's so fun. The craziest one was this cool guy. I liked him. He was into penguins and polar bears. And so like, they had this thing where it's like, hey, you could win a, a trip to the South Pole where you could see penguins in their natural habitats. And they're like, that's cool, but there's no polar bears. Like, oh, you could also win a trip to the North Pole. $220,000. I was like, wow, that's a lot of money to go to the South and the North Pole. This guy's hugging. He hasn't even won it. Hugging his wife. I might win. I mean, it's just so personal. It's beautiful. It's fun. You get to meet these people. There's a big difference whether you were designed by a personal creator who loves you, called forth out of the love of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, or whether you were randomly and accidentally falling into some sort of existence because of the collide of a collection of molecules. The personal touch matters. You have to start with Jesus. He's the first. He's the beginning. You can't start with anything else. And just quickly, because I do think this is a struggle for many in our culture today, you can't start with yourself. If you start with yourself, you'll never really find yourself. I mean, you've got to be invited into some kind of bigger story that gets you outside of yourself so that you can see yourself, right? Like if I hold the Bible really close to my face, all I see is gray. I don't know what this is. But if I get a little distance, I'm like, oh, that's my Bible. That's what that is, right? You can't start with yourself. You have to get out of yourself to discover your true identity and your true purpose I want to invite you to start with Jesus. Let Je- discover your purpose in Jesus. Discover your true identity in Jesus. Let him name you. We all, I promise you, we all need someone we love who loves us. Someone we respect who respects us. Someone we esteem who esteems us to validate who we are. I'm just telling you, if you start with Jesus, let Jesus be that one you love who loves you. You respect who respects you. You esteem who esteems you. And discover who he's calling you to be. Let him name you. Get outside of your start. Self. Start with Jesus. So Jesus is the first, but he's also, what does he say? He's the last. 
Again, there's, there's no one else like, there's, there's no one else who can be the first. It's only it's Jesus. There's only one first and one last. And it's, it's, he's not one of many. He's the one and only. It's only Jesus. It can only be Jesus. Everything is oriented towards him. All of history is heading towards Jesus. Elsewhere in the Bible, it will say that everything is created through him and for him, for Jesus. He is where it's all going. There are different ways that we could have leaned into this. What does it mean that Jesus is the last? But since we're in Revelation, I decided just to to hang out in Revelation chapter 5. I don't have slides for this, so just listen. It's one of my favorite little sections in the Bible. In Revelation chapter 4, you get this vision of, it could be Jewish or Christian. It's, it's not uniquely Christian. You've just got the, the one seated on the throne. You see God Almighty being worshipped, and it just makes sense. But as we get into chapter 5, it begins to become uniquely Christian. Because Jesus takes center stage. The one on the throne is holding a scroll, and this scroll is vitally important because everyone can look around and the world's broken. The world is messed up. The world is not the way it's supposed to be. And this scroll holds God's plan for salvation. But they need, we need someone to come along and open the scroll, break the seal so that we can read it and God can begin to do his amazing work of salvation. And so the, the scroll is being held. And an angel cries out, who is worthy to break the seals on the scroll and open it? But we're told no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth is able to do this. In other words... God's plan for saving the world remains bound up. Let me say it this way. The way the world is, it's the way it's always going to be. If there's no one worthy to open the scroll, then things are just going to stay as broken as they are forever. And we're doomed. And it should break our hearts. And actually it breaks John's heart. John begins to weep. No, God, you cannot leave the world this way. It's it's tragic. Save us. And finally, one of these elders, these angels, cries out, stop weeping, John. This is where it gets awesome. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir of David's throne. He's won the victory. That's Easter morning. That's the empty tomb. That's the defeat of death and the grave. He alone is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. And John says he looks. He doesn't see a lion. What does he see? He sees a slaughtered lamb. The one who took our place on the cross, that's what he sees. And we find out Jesus is not one of many. He's the one and only. He is the only one worthy. If it was not for Jesus, we would be left in our sin, in our brokenness, in our devastation with no hope. But praise God for Easter morning. Because there is Jesus. And he hasn't just stood by apathetically watching us suffer. He has entered into the suffering with us and he has provided a way into new life. And so we celebrate Jesus. 
Without Jesus, we are left without hope. And there's so much reason, isn't there, in our world today to lose hope? So much pain and so much suffering. Sometimes you wonder, is there any good in this world? John shouts throughout the book of Revelation, yes, there is. Yes, there is hope. His name is Jesus. Look, the things we long for, the things we hope for are not rooted in random chance nor in wishful thinking. The things we long for and the things we hope for are rooted in Jesus. They are as solid as a stone rolled away. That's what they're, they're, they're built on that. And the one who has called us into existence will finish the good work he's begun. He is the first and he is the last. He's the living one. He is life itself. And he closes by saying, I've, I died, I was dead, but I'm, I'm alive again forever and ever. And I, and I hold the keys of death and the grave. I hold the keys of death and Hades, of death and hell. I mean, maybe this is the good moment to, however you imagine, Satan. (laughs) I picture Satan standing there shouting out to the demonic host, he's got a way, he's got a way, and he's got the keys. And he's desperate. Jesus is preaching and he's telling us the gates of hell will not prevail. Hell doesn't even have its own keys anymore. What good are the gates of hell if you don't even have the keys to them? Jesus has the keys to death and to hell. That's why he says, don't be afraid. I mean, in one sense, all fear is ultimately the fear of death. What we fear is loss, and death is that ultimate form of loss. We fear the loss of our lives, the loss of our health, the loss of our purpose, the loss of our loved ones. We fear the loss of so many things. The good news of Easter is that Jesus Christ, not death, is the Almighty. (laughs) I mean, we're talking about death in all its fullness, but, but, but all these forms of loss, I'm telling you, if you allow Jesus to be your first and your last and your source of life, your definition of life itself, you will begin to learn that His life will overwhelm any loss you may encounter because that's what his life does. Or let me say it this way. When we lose something, it's gone and and seemingly irretrievable. You think about it when you're young and you get old, your youth is seemingly gone forever. When you die, life is gone and gone forever. Maybe opportunities have come and gone and you think those opportunities are gone forever. Maybe your family didn't turn out the way you wanted it to or your career didn't turn out the way you wanted it to and you think it's gone and it's gone forever. And maybe this morning what you're longing for is, I know I can't ever get that back, but God, just give me some kind of consolation prize. My kids get participation trophies and consolation trophies. Give me, just give me, is there any kind of consolation prize that I know won't make up for everything, but just a little bit help me get through what I've lost and will never get back. I'm telling you, the resurrection is not a consolation prize. It is the restoration of everything. 
And so you may think you've missed out, but I'm telling you, if you allow Jesus to give you his resurrection life to restore that which is broken within you, you get everything you were created to have through the fullness of the love of God. It's not a consolation. It's a restoration. That's the good news of Easter. I mean, it matters when you and I all eventually, unless Christ returns, you and all, we all eventually stare down the last few days of our life. It matters, but it matters even today. There's loss in your life. I know there is, but I'm telling you, Jesus is so creative. He's so powerful. He's so gentle. He's so loving. He's the first and the last. Let him fill some of that void in your life. Let him provide in ways you never imagined in the midst of your loss, whatever it may be, because Jesus holds the keys. In the fullness of time, God poured the fullness of his being into Jesus of Nazareth. In his death, burial, and resurrection, we are told that Christ now fills all of creation with himself. Or let me say it this way, Christ entered into death by death, in order to fill death with himself, so that now to enter into death is to encounter nothing but Christ. If you're in Christ, if you've learned to trust Jesus as your Savior and Lord, if you are in Christ, if you've been washed clean by the blood of Jesus, if you've laid your life down before him, if you've received the forgiveness that only he can provide, because he's not one of many, he's the one and only. If, you, if you've done that then, 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 then Jesus says things to you like those that believe in me will never see death. How can Jesus say that? Because we enter into what we think is going to be death and there's no death there. There's only Jesus. That's the good news of the empty tomb. He fills all things everywhere with himself. And if you're in Christ, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't do it. Because he's so powerful. And he's so gentle. Well, I thought it'd be good this morning. I was going back through my notes. I've done this on Christmas Eve, but I've never done this on Easter. And I know we always have people visiting and even people who are here every week. You're excited about Jesus. want to learn about Jesus. I want to encourage you, if you are newer to the church, you haven't been for a while, and there's something in you that's curious or maybe maybe excited about Jesus, I always recommend grabbing the the Bible, grab the New Testament, grab one of these Gospels about Jesus. Book of Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. I usually recommend the Gospel of John, but grab, read through it. You can read a chapter a day and finish it in the next month. Read through a gospel and get to know Jesus. But what I want to do is kind of give you an overview. If you were to start in Matthew and go through the New Testament, this whole thing's about Jesus. The whole Bible is about Jesus. But what would you learn about Jesus if you read through the New Testament? Well, let me just, let me just wet your whistle a little bit. In Matthew, you would learn that Jesus is the son of David. It matters as you're following through the story of the Old Testament. He's the Messiah. He's the anointed one, the chosen one who brings the kingdom of God. And I want you to hear this. In Matthew, we also learn that Jesus is with us always. He's with us. 
what we learn in Matthew. Now Mark is a gospel of a lot more action, a little less teaching, and a lot of action. And in Mark, you learn that Jesus is the wonder worker, and he does mighty deeds, and he heals people. And it's incredible. In Luke, you clearly see that Jesus is the Savior of the world. And if you're feeling down and out, if you're feeling down and out in life, maybe you pick up the Gospel of Luke and you will be captivated by how much Jesus lifts up the underdogs. The people on the margins that everyone's ignoring or overlooking, Jesus just runs to them and lifts them up. Read the Gospel of Luke. That's what he does. In the Gospel of John, it's crystal clear that Jesus is the Word made flesh. Everything that God wants to say, He has said in the person of Jesus. Sometimes I like to say, if you want to know who God is, just look at Jesus. It's the clearest expression of who God is. Jesus is everything God wants to say. He's the way, the truth, and the life. In Acts, as you see the beginning of the church, we learn that Jesus baptizes in the Holy Spirit. The personal presence of God baptizes in the Holy Spirit and in power. And then if you get in some of these letters to the church, you'll, you'll, you'll read through Romans. And you'll see that Jesus is the justifier who brings the nations together. That means there's no longer, in Paul's language, Jew and Gentile. We are now all one people. Imagine what would happen in our world today if we got past all these barriers that keep us apart and we understood that in Christ we are all one people. I can only imagine (laughs) and long for that day. In Corinthians, Jesus is the wisdom and power of God. He's the one who became poor so we could become rich. He's the one who washes us clean. In Galatians, he's the son of God who loved us and, listen to this, gave himself up for us. I say this from time to time now just to remind you, in the world we live in, value is assigned by what somebody is willing to pay, right? That's what assigns value these days. And I want to remind all of you who are here and wrestling with your own self-dignity or image or worth that Jesus gave himself for you. And that is how valuable he thinks you are. So you dare not devalue yourself. Jesus thought you were worth his life. Let that reshape the way you assign value to yourself. In Ephesians, we learn that Jesus Christ is the Christ of unsearchable riches. So you say, well, life's been kind of boring and meaningless and purposeless and mundane and ordinary. I'm tired of just streaming show after show or just looking to be entertained or consume the next thing. Well, I tell you, guess what? Jesus is the Christ of unsearchable riches. You want an adventure? Just lean into Jesus, and you will not be bored. It's an adventure. He will make life very interesting for you. In Philippians, he's the one to whom every knee will bow, and every tongue confess his lordship and his alone. He's not one of many. He's the one and only. Jesus Christ alone is Lord. 
In Colossians, I love Colossians, he's the image of the invisible God in whom the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Think about that for a little bit. And we start to get into these shorter letters. In Thessalonians, he's the coming king and he is the coming judge. In Timothy, he's the one who came into this world to save sinners. In Titus, his coming is our blessed hope. In Philemon, while we've read in other books and we've been reminded of his majesty and his power and his, his justice and his love and his grace and his faithfulness, in Philemon, we learn that he's the friend that's closer than a brother. He's so amazing. In Hebrews, he's the sacrifice to end all sacrifices, the great high priest, the blood of the new and perfect covenant. He makes a way for us to be right with God, reconciled to God. In James, he's the Lord of glory, and he's the great physician. You can bring any wound to him, and he can heal you. In Peter's letters, he's the cornerstone. He's what we build on, and he's the chief shepherd of the sheep. In John's letters, he's love. And if you missed it, he's love. And if you missed it again, he's love. God is love. And Jude, he's the one able to keep you from stumbling in this dark world. And he's the joy giver. Look, if you feel like you've been running after a whole bunch of different things and there's no joy in your life, then let Jesus be your alpha. Let him be your first. Let him be your beginning. And just be prepared to see what kind of joy Jesus gives you. Don't create it, discover it. Receive it as gift. And then, of course, in Revelation, he's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the King of kings and Lord of lords. He's the living one who holds the keys to death and the grave. Amen? Amen. Amen. So as we wrap up here, just take a moment. Well, I want you to know that right now, the living Christ, the one who left the tomb empty 2,000 years ago, is inviting you. He's filled with all the power that caused John to fall face down as if dead. He's that powerful. But he's also so gentle. He's just, I mean, maybe some of you can even feel it. He's just, he's just putting his hand ever so gently, firmly but gently on your shoulder. And he's just looking down with, yeah, th yeah their, their, their eyes flaming with fire, but it's an intensity of love for you. It's not judgment and condemnation. It's an invitation to grace and life and love. Jesus is inviting you right now to lay down your life and find new life in him. Jesus is inviting you right now to confess your sins, to acknowledge that everything you've been trying to do on your own isn't working, and to say, I'm ready for a fresh start, a new start. I need new life, Jesus. Breathe new life into me. And here's what I want to tell you. If Jesus invites you like this, which he does, your Savior is inviting you to receive his forgiveness so he can save you. He's your Lord, and he wants to lead you into life. All you have to do is say yes to Jesus. It's not hard. If you hear that gentle voice, that still small whisper in your heart of the Spirit of God, of Jesus inviting you, you just say, yes, Jesus. 
I don't even know where this leads. I don't even understand everything, but there's something in me that just, just right now, yes, Jesus. For the first time in my life, I've thought there were many options, but Jesus, I'm realizing he's not one of many. He's the one and only. And if I want a life like this from the source of life itself, then all I can do is say, yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. Look, you don't have to try to convince Christ to love you. You don't have to talk him into it. He already does. He already laid his life down for you on the cross. He's loved you from the beginning. He's the first. And you don't have to convince Christ to save you. That's what he came to do. He he came to do that. He's right here now, right here now in this room, the risen Christ. He's here to save you. All you have to do is just say yes. You don't have to talk about whether you're worthy or not worthy. You just need to say, yes, Jesus. I receive your life. And I will follow you wherever you lead. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, who is like you? You are the Savior of the world. You are the Lord of our lives. You are the forgiver of our sins. You are the giver of our lives. You are the light of those who are spiritually lost. You are the life of those who are spiritually dead. You are the liberation of those who are imprisoned by guilt. You are the glory of those who hate themselves. You are the guardian of those who are paralyzed by fear. You are the guide of those who are bewildered by falsehood. You are the peace of those who are in turmoil. You are the prince of those who yearn to be led. You are the priest of those who seek the truth. And maybe, Jesus, that's the one we'll just hang on here for a second. We are truth seekers. We want truth. We want light. We want life. And I I know, I know there are a variety of spiritual journeys in this room. Maybe some of us are coming alive to you for the first time and some of us are 50 years into this and there's still more we want from you because you're the Christ of unsearchable riches and we know we haven't explored every avenue of what you have to give us and we say, yes, Jesus. Wherever we are in our spiritual journey this morning, we say yes to you and we take one more step towards you. And even our one feeble step is enough for you to come running to us and wrap us in that firm but gentle embrace and shower us in your love. So we say yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. And thank you, Lord. Amen.